0: Another Tasty Podcast from the Tasty Podcast Network at Mm. Mm. tastypodcast.com.
1: Henry Pappy Thank woke him the up one midnight. Bellies. He says, oh, 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 hello. Hello. said, When the sheriff comes, I
2: won't tell you this, boy. said, Learn to ball a jack, learn to lay a track, learn to pick and shovel too, And take my hammer, it'll do anything you tell it to. Do good
3: work. Do good work. Do, do good work. 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 Yeah! Ruckus applause! Uh, my name is Katie Pengro. This is the live Do Good Work podcast here at Spider House Ballroom. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Um, if, for those of you who don't know, this is the podcast where we talk to creative people about their shitty jobs and what it means to work. And I usually say it's a funny podcast where we talk to creative people uh, about their shitty jobs, but... Tonight, we have a a special theme, and it's uh, working in healthcare, and um, if anyone has ever worked in healthcare, it's not always very funny. Um, Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not, so uh, we invited some great storytellers out tonight who are going to be telling tales about working in healthcare of varying degrees, um, from human health care, to animal health care, to uh, you know mental health care. And it's gonna be a super great show of awesome stories. So um, I'm really excited you guys are here for it. And uh, yeah, I, the whole reason why I decided to do this theme was because I grew up in a family of healthcare care workers. I had an aunt who worked in healthcare care. Um, she was a nurse. my mom is a nurse. and um, it's one of those weird things where I feel like I grew up hanging out in a hospital. But, like, I really liked it. Uh, Like, the smell of a hospital was really soothing to me. Um, Just because, you know, you'd go visit your parents at work, and it's like, oh, it's fun. Um, But, of course, mine was like, oh, there's someone probably dead in the next room. This is really fun. I'm seeing mom at work. Um, So I kind of have a fascination with it. And I tried, I tried uh, to get into it myself. When I uh, when I failed at acting in Los Angeles, like you do, um, I moved back home with my parents, and my mom really wanted me to be a nurse, and so I looked into that, and I was like, oh, gosh, that's a lot of school. Um, instead, I will just go work at a nursing home, because for some reason I thought that would be... A fun thing to do Um, uh, on the theme of comedy is tragedy. Uh, Well, and it was horrible because when I first started working there, like I was like, oh, this is great. Like I will, I'll be able to do some good here. I'm a lot of these people. Like no one comes to visit, and so if nothing else, I can just hang out with them. But uh, but I started having these weird uh, zombie fantasies while I was working there. That everyone was turning into a zombie because if you've ever been to a nursing home, it's like, it's it's very intense. Uh, There's a lot of people who are like, you know, either very ill or whatever. Uh, But I got over that, um, and I started just hanging out in the Alzheimer's unit because that's where a lot of people don't get a lot of visitors. And I um, I do comedy on uh, for for the most part, and I and I love being the funniest person around. And so I would bring um, Dog Fancy magazine into the Alzheimer's unit, and I would just sit around a table with the Alzheimer's patients, and they fucking loved me. Uh, <laughs> I killed every time with those funny dog pictures. They loved it. <laughs> so that's where I spent the majority of my time. Um, and it was actually it was, it was a pretty fun job, but it definitely wasn't for me. So I have a lot of respect for people who do that full-time uh, or uh, you know, foray into that. But we have a really fun show tonight. If you if you don't know how this podcast works, um, we bring six storytellers on stage. They are going to tell their tales uh, surrounding the theme. And we also have three judges who will be sitting on the stage listening to the stories and giving their commentary afterward. And they will be picking a do-good-work storytelling winner who will receive the Golden Hammer Award. Uh, it's very coveted. I actually spray-painted it this month. Um... <laughs> Last month, I ran out of time, and so it was just a hammer. Uh, It was not the Golden Hammer Award. It was just a fucking Home Depot hammer. Um, But I was on my shit this month, so I spray-painted it. You're welcome. Uh, So let's go ahead and bring those judges up right now. Uh, Your first judge, you may know her from this very place, the Spider House Ballroom, where she runs shit like a badass. Please welcome up, Eva
1: Mueller!
3: Hello, how are you? Good, you're looking so sassy. Oh, thank you. Go ahead and you sit right there. And uh, if you want inter- to inter- introduce yourself again and
4: uh, tell us, do you have any uh, healthcare stories? Um, hello. <laughs> I, I do actually have a healthcare story. I, like you, worked in a nursing home. And it was when I was in high school. I was a physical therapy intern for, for the nursing home in my hometown. And yes, lots of crazies. Lots of uh, people with Alzheimer's that didn't quite know where they were, what century it was. Um, (laughs) I was once slapped by a woman because she thought I was her daughter that hadn't been to visit her in over 10 years. That was fun. Um, But the most notable story I had was when I was actually doing some mat exercises with an elderly gentleman that had just gotten out of surgery. And uh, he told me he had to pee. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go get that little contraption thing there, and you can take care of that. Turned my back, turned back around, and handed it to him. And he had taken his member out and uh, was jerking off. <laughs> and it
1: Maybe was. he forgot what peeing
3: was. He got confused. And it was <laughs> very
4: mortifying for a 16-year-old girl to see a 80-year-old man's business. How was it, though? Like, uh, I tried it, not to look, Katie. Did it hold up over time? <laughs> I actually ran out of the room screaming and went and got my supervisor and then left. <laughs> so you're like, you don't even know if he finished. I I did that not. That could have been the best I did not day of stick around to find life. out. I don't know.
3: I think that you, he tells that story very differently. It's what I think happened. <laughs> Chances
4: are he didn't remember it uh, you know, 10 minutes well, well, let's hope he does. Because
3: I feel like uh, jerking out. When you're 80 years old, getting to jerk off in front of a 16-year-old girl for some reason. Okay, sorry. I'll stop. Uh, I just feel like uh, that would be like a mm, cherry on top of um, his physical therapy. All right, your next judge <laughs> going to the stage uh, is the Hilarious dude, he's a comic in town, a previous funniest person in Austin. Please welcome up Lucas Melendez oh, oh. Hello, Lucas.
5: Hello, how's it going? I'm good, how are you?
3: I'm doing great. I like watching you try to maneuver into your seat while yeah. talking to that microphone. There we go. Um, so, yeah, you got any uh, medical stories for us?
5: One time I was in a, a hospital and I had to pee and this woman watched me jerk off. <laughs> it was great. I have good health care. <laughs> it's the, uh, my plan. You can watch me jerk off plan. Um, it's, like, it's Cobra. That's uh, <laughs> what that is, right?
3: Oh, I get it. The snake plan.
5: It's a snake plan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, I don't really... Um, I do have health insurance, but I remember a couple of years ago, me and my friend Eric Krug, another comic in town, we were hanging out drinking one night, and by the end of the night, we both became convinced that we had AIDS, so we made plans um, the next <laughs> We made plans the next morning. i go pick him up, and we would go to Planned Parenthood together and do it because we were like, "Well, let's do it together." Because it's kind of scary when you think you have AIDS. So we need like, so he and I piggybacked on each other. Can I other. ask why AIDS? I mean, everybody thinks they have AIDS at least one point in their life, right? So, and we became convinced that we had AIDS that night, and so because we we were just talking about our history and um, and AIDS came up a bunch, and so. So I, I go out to his front yard. It's like nine in the morning because we wanted to get it over with because, like, why wait? So I started honking and he gets in the car and I had uh, Ben Fold's brick playing because it's about abortion. I just wanted to lighten the mood. So, <laughs> yeah. at
3: least you weren't doing that that day. Yeah. So.
5: so, but, you know, I've been to Planned Parenthood many times now and I'm more comfortable each time. And I, I have health insurance now, but fuck that. I just go to Planned Parenthood because I keep it street. So that's my healthcare story.
3: <laughs> okay, but... So, like, do you have eight?
5: Uh, I changed my number after we did the test. So, <laughs> so maybe. you
3: have no idea. I
5: No, no response is a good response, okay. right?
3: Okay, well, uh, <laughs> there's plenty of free testing in town. I will give you some directions. Um, <laughs> all right, your next judge coming to the stage, uh, who I think is way more responsible. Uh, he <laughs> he's not a comic, so that means that he, like, has a job and his shit figured out. Um, he's uh, also hilarious. He used to run a storytelling show in town he uh helps out with the encyclopedia show getting that started here in austin which is a fantastic storytelling show we're very excited to have him please welcome up michael grotman hello hello you're so tall
0: yeah, I'm sitting down. Don't okay, worry. Okay, good. Okay.
3: So, uh, what's what's what you got? What you got for us?
0: Uh, I'm actually uh, afraid of the human body. I think it's gross. Uh, specifically, uh, my arms go numb whenever I see blood, and when people start talking about it, uh, I can't really handle thinking about having veins inside our bodies. When I think about that, that there are tubes that just run all over. And there is, they're, they're contained, and there are things inside of them that move, but it, it doesn't go out. And I, I hate that. For what? I don't have AIDS. I'm glad this is where we're at. Um, no, this has been a problem since I was six, and I I don't think I had AIDS when I was six.
3: Okay, I feel like I should tell you this really quick, though. Yeah. Uh, you don't really watch horror movies, right?
0: No, I can't handle it.
3: Okay, I have a weird thing with veins, too. Um, and uh, there there's this one, Nightmare on Elm Street. Number when-
0: three, I saw it when I was six. <laughs> This is not even a joke, you all.
3: Okay, listen. This is the one where uh, Freddy Krueger pulls somebody's arm veins out and then uses him as a marionette puppet with his own veins <laughs> and it's horrible! It's horrifying! Thank
0: you. I yeah. think that's where it started. Right. You brought this up tonight and I can't handle so it. So you're
3: anymore. a doctor. <laughs> you're, you're, no, you don't work in the medical field. That's probably fine. I best. just
0: want to say that throughout this evening if any of you mentioned veins... <laughs>
3: Directed toward Michael Grubman, is what they're trying to say. Um, all right, well, this is our esteemed judging panel. Give it up for them. Yeah. All right, I think we're just going to go ahead and get straight on to the storytellers. Uh, the first lovely lady that's coming up here is fantastic. She's a comic in Austin and also a, a healthcare worker. So please welcome up Annie Lieber. Yeah.
6: Not much. That's the last thing you're going to say, right? (laughs) Okay. So uh, this story takes place in uh, 2006. I was in my last semester of graduate school uh, getting my master's in professional counseling. And I applied for a job with the Austin Police Department to be a crisis counselor with their victim services division and basically the job is you uh... you drive around the city in an unmarked police car and you go to the scene of any kind of crime or uh... some kind of uh... tragedy where uh... there's like a living victim that might need someone to talk to so uh, i worked all day got off work and i drove to uh... the police department and i met this woman jackie who was the counselor that i would be riding along with and uh... She, uh, she, we got in the car and we were driving away and she immediately got a notification that uh, there was a suicide nearby that uh, the boyfriend walked in and uh, saw and he was in need of someone to talk to. So uh, we drive over there, it wasn't very far away. And we go over there and uh, he's sitting on the front, uh, on the curb, and there's, it's a crime scene so there's police everywhere. And we pull up and uh, we get out and I Jackie walks over and she starts talking to him and I'm just, you know, watching, observing. And uh she uh she's talking to him and then the detective walks over um and he looks like somebody uh from like a movie set, like Blood Simple or uh No Country Roman. He has like a cowboy hat, he's got cowboy boots, uh very starched, everything was starched. He came over and he said uh so he totally interrupted and he said uh hey, does your uh, your girlfriend have any health problems? <laughs> and uh, the boyfriend shot up and he said, what difference does it make now? <laughs> and uh, he said, well, I can't do accents. He said, uh, I got men poking around in there. I need to know if she has hepatitis. And uh, he uh, he said, yes, she has hepatitis. And then he was like, okay. And then he walked off and he went over to the other uh counselor the crime victims unmarked police car to go talk to this other counselor who just so happened to have the other candidate applying for this job that i wanted um and they start talking and i'm just you know watching jackie do her job and uh he comes back over and he interrupts again and uh he says uh hey you want to see dead body <laughs> and uh i do not um but the other candidate apparently had said she did so i felt like well i i if I, I gotta i now have to see this uh dead body so i said uh yeah absolutely let's let's do this and so he went and got her and then so this other candidate and i walk into the house and it's like a it's a garage apartment behind a house and we walk up and uh Uh, like a gentleman he lets us in first and right as we cross into the room he says just your typical home of a titty dancer on smack um and there she is uh dangling uh from a hot pink nylon stocking she'd hung herself and she had a hypodermic needle uh I can't remember if it was in her arm or in her leg um it was somewhere my memory this is now memories of a memory uh, so this was it was uh, there was no AC it was super hot uh, as August um, and it was late now and uh, She the person that was wanting this job apparently more than me was standing there for a really long time watching this uh, dead by and so she was a dancer she was wearing a um, a uh, Catholic schoolgirl outfit um, and uh, but like a dancing a uh version of it and um, And then she was disgusting. (laughs) She was uh, hideous. And then we walked out, (laughs) and um, we got into the car to now drive across town to go tell uh, her mom um, what had happened. So we get in the car. This car is just two police cars and these unmarked... Anyway, so we get to her house. We pull up, and the car in front of the house has a bumper sticker on it. that says, better a blow job than no job. Uh I agree. And um the they there's 6 of us on the front start banging on the APD Uh and then there's this commotion and uh finally the the mom comes to the door. Um and she's was a very tiny, very small woman. Um uh she had enormous uh breasts. Uh, she was obviously in the same line of work and she had her hair in a hot pink. I was like, "Hey, that was like that's awful, but, um, so we walk, she, she opens the door, and she was very excited to see us, uh, like we had some excellent, uh, thing to tell her, and she, uh, invited us in, and we walk in, and the first thing I saw was a, uh, a rest in peace tombstone on the wall, and then I realized the whole entire house was decorated for Halloween, um, and it, it, and there was porn everywhere there was porn there was porn everywhere um and and there was a ferret and um it smelled like pee and she was smoking so it smelled like cigarette smoke and bacon she'd been cooking uh breakfast and um Malcolm in the Middle was on TV um, it was the it was the um it was a good episode. It was when we were to do the Burning Man. So we walked in. She sits down, and she says... Uh, she, she has a seat, and then Jackie says, uh, uh, Your daughter committed suicide. She's dead. And then the mom said, She's dead? And uh, Jackie said, She's dead. Um, and then I... <laughs> was just standing there like an idiot. That I, I didn't know what to do. And at that moment, she said, I don't know what to do. What do I do? I don't know what to do. And nobody else knew what to do because nobody else said anything. And then finally, she got up, and she walked to her room in the back. Um, and then we all followed her, the six of us, uh, like a film crew to the back of the house. <laughs> um, and she sat down on her bed, and her bedroom um, had a wall that was... Um, so she'd knocked out a wall, and on the other side, where that, what that room was, was the garage. Um, but she hadn't made any effort to incorporate the garage into the bedroom or the bedroom into the garage. It was just a garage. And there was a pole uh, for dancing, naturally. And then there was shoes everywhere. There was like hundreds, maybe thousands of pairs of shoes. Um, and then the ceiling, this was the only part that blended the garage and the room. The ceiling was covered in... Um, gauze or like toll. That was like staple gunned. Um and uh drugs. There was a table, it looked like um you know like in elementary school the police come in and it's like a, here these are drugs. Every drug was right there on her nightstand and uh the police they didn't say anything, which was very kind of them. Um and then uh we were just kinda hanging out in her bedroom for a while and then um her little dog walked by and um this is the sad moment <laughs> she uh she picked up her dog and she started to cry in his fur and uh we all looked at each other and it was like uh it was just like a moment and then Jackie uh her excellent she she put all these pamphlets on the bed um she put all these pamphlets on the bed and we all just kind of like and we backed out and uh And we stood on the front lawn for a while and talked about the World Cup, and then I went home and I took a shower, and then I called and left a voice message that I would not be coming for the third interview. (laughs) That's my story.
3: What did I tell you? Nothing but joy tonight. Uh, (laughs) Starting off with a dead stripper. Um, All right, uh, judges, uh, anything to say about uh, that story?
0: Yeah, I will never complain about any job interview I ever go to. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. That's intense. Um, I really appreciated that you jumped right into the action, um, and then it continued to escalate into such horrifying things as uh, gravestones, porn, and a ferret... All in one place. That is my nightmare. That is but my no nightmare. veins. No. Well, she did talk about needles sticking out of veins. But it was a really beautiful picture, so I can forgive that. <laughs> I can forgive that. Lucas? It's kind of a perfect Halloween death. You know.
3: Also, let's go back to the fact that it was August, though. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah. Well, they sell Christmas trees in August, so why not dead hookers? Um... I don't know why you would uh, hang yourself while. Because I'm assuming she was doing heroin. That's why the needle was there. I don't think she was probably doing insulin or juicing up. Like, she wasn't like. She's like, I'm going to get into shit. Oh, fuck it. You know, like. But, like, why would you hang yourself while doing heroin? That's like getting high while, while drinking a lot. Because it's sort of like enjoy one or the other. Don't just kill your... Like, either kill yourself or do heroin. Like, you know, at least have the high and then kill yourself. You know? It's really the only thing that and then i also had like the idea of a ride-along uh which reminded me of the first episode of breaking bad when walt's going out like like if you want to become a hooker you go you go on a ride-along but then she brought up malcolm in the middle later and brian cranston was in that too so i don't know where the, the the balance is there so i don't know whatever i'm done
4: fact Kurt cobain shot himself up with heroin and then shot himself so or there did he or did yeah yeah it's all up speculation Uh, I like that my most noted notes of her story were, dead body, other candidate wanted it. (laughs) (laughs) And then Annie took shower, did not want it. (laughs) But I thought it was a really good story. She was very good at uh, details and painting the sad picture that was that day. And I'm kind of glad for you that you didn't take... That job that you did not want it.
3: Fair enough. All right, guys, one more time for Annie Lieber. She survived. She didn't have to touch a ferret that night, Uh, I don't think. All right, uh, your next storyteller coming up to the stage, uh, she warned me once again this might be a downer, so get ready. Uh, But luckily, we have our judging panel to just make fun of it afterwards. So uh, please welcome to the stage Laura Buxton.
7: Hey everybody! So I was gonna tell a really sad story. My job basically is that I work at a shelter, which, as you can imagine, patients get sick. Uh, and unlike humans, we don't just like watch them die slowly, and we're like, Are "You almost there?" We. Uh, and I'm one of those people who gets to do the fun part. I love my job there. Um, but I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? I don't want to cheer up this whole room. I'm actually gonna tell a funny story. Um, I have two jobs, actually. Um, Because most vet techs make about as much as, like, somebody who works at McDonald's. Like, not even management. So, um, one of my jobs is, I work at a low-cost vet clinic that does, like, shots and heartworm tests. Uh, So, if you have a pet and you're a comic, you probably have been there. Um, But it's, uh, usually we get, like, between five and ten homeless people that come in with animals, like, every couple days. And... I'm usually the one who handles all of them for some reason. I And, like, I like homeless people, but there's, like, a certain point where I'm just, like, you are on drugs, um, and come back when you're not. Uh, so this is a story of this woman was on drugs, I'm pretty sure. Um, so basically she walks in. This woman is easily, like, 250. Um, her pants were easily, like three sizes too small. Her shirt was just like <sniffs> squeezing around every bit of her. And like, I have to give her the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, you are homeless. It's okay. But then she like, she's like, how much is it going to be? And like pulls out a like bunch of money from her boobs. And I'm just like, don't want your sweaty boob money and my face. And then like also with that, at least like as her purse. Like she had, I mean, she just, she had a bigger bust. And like, it was like used... Kleenex. I'm just like, why are you keeping everything in there? Just put them in your pockets. But she like started it off on a weird weird note. And then she's like, yeah, I want to get my cats vaccinated. I was like, all right, cool. Just fill this out. <laughs> Trying to ignore the sweaty money on my desk. And um, I mean, they get free services anyways. So I don't know why she did that. <laughs> but um, she proceeds to fill this out. And I come to get her paperwork. And I'm like, okay, we're ready in the room for you. And instead of having her paperwork, she has her underwear in her hands. (laughs) And at no point did she take her pants off. So there's like this moment. Yes, she is homeless. uh, And it it was uh, like this battle between like, this is hilarious, but I feel sorry for you. But it's still hilarious. Um, And yeah, she's just like holding her underwear. And I am just like, do you have your paperwork? Going to ignore the fact that you are holding your underwear in your hands. And by the way, her 17-year-old son's sitting next to her. And I'm just like, cool. I've never been that comfortable with my mom, but if you are, totally fine. And he looks like this happens every day, so I just ignored it. And I just was like, I'm gonna take your clipboard now. Let's go to the room. She's like, oh, yeah, my underwear just popped off. Again, like that just happens for her. Uh and still she never took her pants off. I'm still to this day wondering how she did that. <laughs> it was like something out of Zoolander where she was just like, Yes. And uh or the reasoning behind it. But um then she tries to like tell me why that happened. She's like, Yeah, I lost a lot of weight recently and I was like, Again, logic doesn't work there. <laughs> it would be sliding off of you, whatever. Um so I still anyone can solve this for me i'd be really appreciative of it but then she gets in the room and then things just get weirder she like we we get her cat out and she's like i got another cat at home she's homeless so i'm like what uh she's like yep i don't want to get him fixed because he's 90 pounds and he's a norwegian forest cat there's a cat outside right now. It weighs about 10 pounds. Have you ever seen a 90-pound cat? No, cuz that's a lion. Like that doesn't exist. So, I'm just like, "Really? 90 pounds?" Okay, cool. And I'm like weighing her cat, trying to ignore the crazy shit she's saying to me. And uh I mean, this happens every day, but again, just like, Ugh, so funny. Um and trying not to laugh at her. And she's like, "Yeah, he's a He's 90 pounds. He keeps growing. I think there's something wrong with him. I was like, that's because you own a bobcat. Like, what? OK. Um, and then she's like, yeah, he, uh, he lives in our car. So I'm picturing this like 90-pound cat sitting in the back seat. I'm just like, OK. I'm like, well, you should still consider getting him neutered because of all the benefits. And I try to tell her this. And she's like, no, I want to breed him. I was like, well, if you can find another 90 pound cat to breed him with, I will, get, I will quit my job right now and I will give you a million dollars from some, I will figure it out. Like, if you actually have a 90 pound cat and if you can find two of them and opposite sexes too. Um, so she's telling me about her cat and then her other son comes in and I, I, she, again, drugs, I don't know. She's like, here's Bigfoot. And I'm like, honestly, for a second, I was like, shit, is Bigfoot really here? (laughs) And um, it was her son who, again, I don't know if drugs were involved or what, but um, he started talking about the 90-pound cat. And I'm just like, holy shit, there is a 90-pound cat here. Meanwhile, trying to ignore the fact that she has dumped her panties that have broken off her body into my trash can, which I am thinking in the back of my brain, like, I'm going to have to deal with that later. Like, I... This is not in my job description, like, clean room, you know, disinfect everything, take out the trash with the panties in it, like, that's not in my job description, but today, well, that day it was. So I'm just trying to ignore the fact that everyone's talking about this 90-pound cat, and um, she, she just continues to say things like um, that they're all inside cats. She has three on her account. So there's a 90-pound cat. There's the kitten that we're dealing with and another unaccounted-for cat. And uh, I'm just trying to think of this like, you've got two kids. Panties are coming off. And you've got probably imaginary creatures living in your car. My life isn't that bad. I felt pretty good about myself that day. Made me feel pretty good. But then I, of course, um, as I'm checking her out, and I'm, like, trying to get her out of my room so I can handle the underwear situation, I, uh, she, uh, she tells me about another dog she has, so again, three cats, a dog, two sons, living in the same car, and I was just like, all right, let's go, and I, like, took her outside, and I look in the car, and there is at least a 30, I mean, it wasn't 90, I will say that, it's not 90, it's not definitely not 90 pounds, but it was a good 30 pounds, sitting in the back window, like, hey. I don't know how, I mean, it could have had diabetes. I hadn't tested it, but I was just like, holy crap, like, this woman like, was pretty close, closer than 10, but like, there's a 30-pound cat just sitting in her back back seat, and I was like, you should bring him in because we need to see him also so we can get it on record that we have the fattest cat ever in our clinic. And, uh, But yeah, um, that was definitely the day that I realized that my job is both shitty, but also like one of those jobs where you just feel like so good about yourself. (laughs) At the same time, you also feel terrible for other people. But that's my story, and um, (laughs) hopefully that's not too sad. It's just, (laughs) it's definitely better than the euthanasia stories. (laughs)
1: All right, Laura, um,
3: uh, judges, how are we doing?
0: Doing really good. Good. Uh, that story started with a ample discussion of that woman's sweaty breasts and ended with a description of a thirty pound cat. So.
7: So you're good.
0: I'm good. That felt really nice. Um, I'm really intrigued about the idea also of using underwear as an application. In. <laughs> whatever different varieties and uses that could potentially come in handy. So thanks for that idea. I, that's, the
5: cat should have hung itself. I, that should have been the other story. The cat was hanging from the, the rearview mirror when she came out and broke it because it couldn't support the 90-pound fucking... Cat. cat would have to hang itself nine times because it has nine lives. <laughs> it's fucking... That, I don't, you know what, that you, that encounter you had with that busty woman uh, should be, it made you feel good. It, they should do that instead of Prozac for people who feel bad about themselves. That should be like the lesser plan is you, somebody who's feeling bad about themselves, you take them in a back room and on a two-way mirror, they make you watch, you, like they make them watch you and have an encounter with that woman over and over again until they feel better about their lives and they go home and then they you know can grudge fuck their, whoever they're with. <laughs> that's, that's really like, oh, that's awful.
4: Uh, it was a good story. I felt like it was kind of a kind of a murder mystery. I didn't really know where it was gonna go. Um, I, at one point, I wrote down uh, was was the son Bigfoot, the ninety pound cat, kind of like Wilfred but in reverse. <laughs> like she saw her son as a cat. But it was good. I like cats. I'm a cat lady. I'm a bona fide cat lady, and that was a very sad story for me to listen to. (laughs) Were you that lady? (laughs) (laughs) I was not that lady. Okay, all right. That's all I need to check. I need to check. Maybe you got your
3: shit together since then. I don't know. I just want to double check. Uh, All right, one more time for Laura, guys. Yeah, your next storyteller coming up is a lovely gentleman. We're super happy to have him here. Please welcome up Jacques Michel.
1: everybody. I'm um,
8: going to take this it. I don't know if people have taken, is that, if it's storytelling or not, you have to keep the mic in the stand. That's uh, so what makes it serious. Um, I'm going to tell you something serious in the stand. Oh, now it's poetry. Oh my God. Come on, show me some love. I'm black. I get points just for being up here. Um, okay, I shouldn't uh, try to be silly. Uh, I should uh, try to tell a story. So uh, I'm going to talk about mental health. Uh, I, uh, I'm a lawyer, I work in mental health policy uh, I am also a comedian, so I am also a mental health product uh if you could put it that way um I just like wanna one of the things that like was a concern about telling this story is like thinking like people are gonna be like ooh mental health it's like really sad and it's like really depressing and stuff and I just want to like just dispel that because um, it's really fucking depressing like categorically uh but, uh, but i uh, I was drawn to mental health work uh, because I have a mental illness at different times I've had ADHD uh, a, a bipolar disorder uh, depression and anxiety, and uh, just a, a cruel Asian mother uh, which is probably the definition I'm gonna settle on um, so so yeah that's that's what's uh that's you know like it, it's not a big deal to me I hope you're not uncomfortable with it um, what you have to like understand is like it's just a thing I've been dealing with for a while, and that's what it is like for most people with, with depression. They've just been dealing with it for a long time, and it's sort of integrated into their life. Like I, I called up a, uh, like a psychiatrist because I was, I was going through a little bit of a crisis, and they called me back and I was like, oh, "I'm at the gym. Let me uh, just finish up this squat set." And he was like, "You're, you're shitting me, right? You're just like, what, what is going?" I'm like, "No, no, no, it's just it's a normal thing, right? So, so I'm just saying, "Be cool." Uh, what's interesting about, like, mental health policy is, like, it doesn't get a lot of the sympathy that, uh, that other aspects of uh, disability stuff gets. Like, if it was, like, if it was, if disability rights was, like, a high school, like, the mental health kids would be getting choked by the IDD kids, by the, by the developmentally disabled kids, just getting punched in the face. The blind people wouldn't do anything about it. It's, uh, it's yeah, 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 so it's, like, a weird hierarchy, but uh, I really enjoy the work feel connected with it um, so a lot of my work takes me into hospitals and that's the stories I wanted to tell because um, it's, it's always interesting going inside hospitals and and like advocating for people who I consider my my kins men or kinswomen uh, with the first story uh, but yeah I mean and it's, it's fun like being able to like make these arguments and like fight for people's rights and like on, on sort of like mundane things but trying to uh, fight for people 's dignity as they 're still people they 're not just mental health patients um, and it's it 's uh, really fun uh, when you can also try to break them out of uh, of the hospital um, and i 'll get into that later but the the first story is just about the fact that um, it was it was early in when I was still in law school i uh, I worked at this uh, place as a patients' rights advocate for the summer and uh, in a lot of cases it was like fielding calls from uh, from you know just different people like you know in some cases like grandmothers who had been in the hospital and they're just stuck there uh because someone isn't willing to make a call to someone else so they can you know get an appointment at an outpatient treatment center uh and they you know and and get help uh so they're just like sitting in 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 a hospital for like you know unnecessarily for like an additional two weeks so like that feels really good but what feels really good is uh is is when you fight for people's like really mundane rights like there was one time where i went in and uh and it's it's fun being a lawyer in this respect that i went in and uh and i talked with this woman and she was she was she was young and she was a uh, very attractive um which made this next thing sort of weird because i was like what's uh what's your grievance ma'am and she goes well i'm not allowed to masturbate in here and i was like what <laughs> damn that gets the sympathy uh, he's like yeah man uh but like, no, but it's like, it's a, <laughs> like, damn, mental health, like, oh, you want to kill yourself? Oh, that sucks. You can't masturbate? We got to close these institutions down. <laughs> uh, but uh, but, but it's, it's actually an issue, right? Like, uh, that when people are brought into hospitals, you know, I mean, it, it's silly, but it, it's important because it's when people are brought into hospitals, the idea is it's almost like you're infantilized, right? Like, you don't have any rights anymore. And then you get a courageous young lawyer, myself, uh, coming in and fighting for the rights of uh, of the horny. Uh, So I just, I just, I I'm doing the Lord's work. Uh, My fee was just uh, allowing me to watch her do it afterwards. No, I'm kidding about that. That's a joke. But like, it was great because I actually then went to my computer and I researched case law. I researched case law about. sexual rights in in institutions and so like I, l- I went to the facility administrator afterwards and was like well you know like there's there are cases that have gone you know to like the supreme court about the right to masturbate in a hospital yeah. which is <laughs> i like I, now, now you're on board you're like yeah 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 that's that's good uh but like but it was great like being able to like cite these cases and just be really really serious and like a suit and really grim and be like well you know you have to give this person this privacy and the staff can't interfere in any way when the person is masturbating, as long as they're in their room, you know. And like, you know, actually going through the case law and being like, in the room, it's cool. And, okay, admittedly, in front of the TV, not that's not allowed, but in this space, it is. Um, so, like, yeah, like that's that's a, that's a fun part of my job. Uh, but like another, I mean, in a lot of ways, uh, the weirdest part is uh, is sort of the sad cases because it's the cases that I can usually, oftentimes, like. Just uh, sympathize with more because uh, I can relate to it it's one of the odd things about having a mental illness and uh, and a cruel Asian mother and going into a hospital is uh, is that you see it's almost like a reflection of yourself it's like what what could have happened if you didn't have insurance or an education or you know a family who could support you um, and that's really uh, sad and sort of bizarre sometimes. It also is, um, sometimes it's like, you know, you're a little jealous. You're like, oh, well, people be, seem to be having like such a good time. I mean, sometimes people are having, actually having such a good time in there. Like they're, they're, they're good, and you, and you also think, in some ways, this is weird. I, I probably shouldn't say this, but in some ways, you sometimes go, oh, it must be such a relief sometimes to like not be trying to fight this. And so it's weird. It's both like this scary thing to go into a hospital. It's scary for everybody. makes people uncomfortable. But uh, for someone in my situation, it makes me even more uncomfortable. But it's also like a weird kind of bizarre siren song. Like, oh, hey, I mean, what? Like, you guys just just sit around and watch TV all day? Like, this is fucking great. Like, I want to, I don't know, sounds pretty good. Like, then my family can't call me? They take away my cell phone, oh, sign me up' um, admittedly, yeah, getting pumped with all the drugs and stuff uh, that 's not so great, uh, but, but that 's even interesting like that 's like another moment where it 's sort of a weird reflection like I'll be, I was representing this one man, uh, met with him in the morning, and then had to do the hearing for him three hours later and it 's a hearing you know basically about whether uh, in California whether they can keep you after they 've kept you for seventy two hours whether they can keep you for an additional fourteen days. And in these hearings, I represent I represented individuals who were basically represented individuals in all the circumstances. But the ones that obviously went to a hearing were the ones where the person said, "Get me the fuck out of here, Jacques," and uh, and I said, "Okay, let's 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 do this. Let's try to make this happen." And um, and they list, you know, and and to right essentially now you're against the state. There's a state representative who's reading off from their medical file about how they're dangerous. And if they were released, they wouldn't have a place to stay. They wouldn't have a home. And uh, and that's really, you know, and, and so you have to, so it's, you know, it's like, it's very, pers- it's, as an advocate, it's cool, but it's also, like, cool on a personal level of feeling like there's all this stigma being laid on people oftentimes and trying to dispel that. Uh, but sometimes it doesn't uh, go the way you want it to. Um, like an interesting thing that happened uh, in this one case was I represented this guy, and uh, we get through most of the hearing. In a lot of cases, it's like this kind of work is like defense work, where sometimes you want to know key details about the person that will help their case, but everything else you don't want to know. You don't want to know. You don't want to know how that murder was actually committed. Uh, like in a, in a defense case, right? You really don't want to ask those questions. Uh, so you end up in weird situations sometimes. I was in a hearing, and uh, and we were talk. You know, this guy gave me his information in the morning about his family and who he'd be staying with, and. We made calls and we didn't hear back from them. Uh, but then we go to the hearing, and you know, basically, it turns out you know this this guy. I would just call him uh, Mr. Johnson. Uh, Mr. Johnson, like you know, he's 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 not a risk. He's he's behaving very well. He's he's you know uh, he, he probably will be fine. He won't get into trouble if he's released. But then the second question in these hearings is: Does he have a place to stay? Does he have a place a home to go to? And um, and in that case, like in the hearing. Uh, we were like, yeah, yeah. He has a place. He told us he, he gave us the address. And then the judge asks Mr. Johnson, "Oh, so like, who's who's paying for this home?" And Mr. Johnson, you know, he he's totally calm, just answering questions very calmly throughout the hearing. And then when he gets asked about the how, about who's paying for the house, he says P- Pacific Gas and Electric. That's uh that's a utility company, not and and I last I checked they're not in the business of uh of whole, of, of of paying people's rent, um and so it was like this weird moment where I was like ah oh, you fuck me over buddy but you're hallucinating so I gotta, gotta gotta be easy on you can't can't really hold that against you, um and uh and as a as a rock and roll advocate I was like yeah uh, PG and E anyways thanks. <laughs>
3: a rock and roll advocate. I fucking love that. (laughs) Uh, What what are we doing over there? What are we thinking?
0: Hello. Uh, I was really excited uh, for personal revelation. It's always a good uh, way to start, uh, you know, relating with the audience. So it's nice to learn a little bit about you before we hear the story. Um, I really wanted you to focus on one story, particularly masturbatory rights of folks who are in the hospital, I was particularly interested in uh, what kind of computer research you were doing <laughs> as you were looking into their rights. So more more development of one story would have helped. More masturbation. Absolutely.
5: Yeah, it kind of goes without saying. When you bring up uh, a woman masturbating, I kind of tuned out for the next two minutes. Uh, it, was, it just... Like, yeah, what, are the, what did you do? Have like a, a twat in, you know, like for civil rights, for the vagina? Because it makes me think of like, you know, you go to Starbucks and you hear about people who try to nurse their kids and, they, and then like somebody tries to sue them and you have like a nursing bib that you put the baby under and like that's kind of a compromise. There could be like a, you know, a vagina bib where you can rub one out in public and it's just like if you're on the bus, it just seems, uh, back of the bus only, uh, another civil rights issue. Uh, <laughs> for, for, but it, it sounds to me like that's a first world problem. To have, but then again, I could probably go to a hospital in Latvia and rub one out and nobody would give a shit. Like, it's probably not really. But then again, I don't know. Maybe it's just like reverse backwards uh, cavalierism. Because, like, in Georgetown, it's not as cool as Austin, but you can still smoke in bars there and you can't do that here. So, like, Austin's kind of backwards in certain ways, too. So, whatever, I can relate to it. It's fine. Great story.
4: (laughs) Uh, I learned that uh, you can still be an attractive woman even if you're in a mental hospital, as long as you bring up masturbation. Which thus proves that guys love crazy chicks. They love them. They love them. It was a good story. I also got kind of distracted from the masturbation bit. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen now.
3: Basically, yeah, the first two minutes of your story was clutch. Uh, the rest of it, we don't know. Um, all right, speaking of masturbation, your next storyteller, uh, uh, she is sincerely one of my favorite storytellers here in town. I'm very happy that she agreed to come and do this. Uh, please welcome up Holly Lorca.
9: Vagina bib. Am I the only one who's going to be scripted tonight? It's going to be all right. Um, With music. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a lot of things. I wanted to be Fonzie. I wanted to be a cowboy. I wanted to be Stephanie Powers' boyfriend. Basically, if there was a cool or nicely dressed man with a pretty girl or a horse nearby, I wanted to be him. If there was a saloon fight or a moderate-speed chase in a red convertible, even better. Anything had to be better than wearing holly hobby pajamas and going to sleep with my sister when it was still light outside our East Coast bedroom window. I would lay awake in that bed and look out the window while devising elaborate stories in my head where I was always heroic and incredibly handsome. But there was one thing that I wanted to be even more than all of these others, even more than I wanted to be a boy, I knew in every hair follicle, every cell of my body, that this thing was my destiny. When my friends were asked what they wanted to be when they grew up, they replied, astronaut or teacher or fireman. My brother replied, dog. When I was asked that question, I responded the same way every time. I want to be a superstar. Which is why, at the age of 18... I decided to go to nursing school (laughs) because everyone knows at least three superstar celebrity nurses, right? What the hell was I thinking? My first day in a hospital was in the second semester of school. I had never actually been in a hospital before because why would I bother to find out whether or not I'd like the rest of my life? (laughs) We needed to get checked off on vital signs, which should have been an easy thing to do. We were assigned random patients. I walked into my patient's room with my instructor and saw that my patient was about 100 years old and was ready to die at any second. He was comatose and gurgling. His room smelled awful and I was terrified. I stood there in my little white nursey dress with my white hose and wondered if it was too late to change my major to landscaping. I was told that he was a DNR and I shouldn't worry about the fact that every breath sounded like it might be his last. Well, that's encouraging. I guess I couldn't hurt him too much. When I went to check his temperature, I tried to put the thermometer in his mouth, but it wouldn't open because he was in a coma. So my instructor and I had to turn him over to check a rectal temperature. He must have been trying to warn me about my future because he had shit the entire bed, like running down the foot of the bed shit. It was my first day. There shouldn't be any shit on a first day. So not only did I have to put a thermometer up there, but then we had to clean up all that shit. If this wasn't being a superstar, I didn't know what was. (laughs) Why didn't I quit that day? Because I am obviously an idiot. I just put my head down and powered through nursing school knowing that at least when I was done, I'd only have to work three days a week and I could basically wear pajamas Also, chicks might think it was cool. That would be enough, right? Fast forward to six months after graduation. I was working the night shift with my friend Ralph. There were only the two of us on the unit that night, as there were only three patients. I got report on my two. Sylvia was a 76-year-old lady who had lung surgery and was on a pain pump. The second was Lou, a man who'd had open-heart surgery that didn't go well. He was confused and restless and had spent the day trying to climb out of the bed and get the hell out of here, goddammit. They'd finally gotten him sedated enough to take the restraints off his wrists. I was worried. Not about Lou, but about the lady on the pain pump. I was told in report that her family, thinking she couldn't possibly be comfortable even while she was sleeping soundly, continued to press her pain button for her. FYI. Too much morphine turned sweet little grannies into crazy-ass bitches. The sun was setting, the family was going home for the night, and my shift was just beginning. Grandma was extremely comfortable. I was not. Everything was fine until 3 a.m. When in a hospital, everything becomes not fine. I made a quick trip to the bathroom, and when I opened the door to walk back out, I had a direct view of Sylvia, who was sitting up in bed, holding a large-bore IV that she'd ripped out of her neck. She was swinging it in the air, spraying blood onto the sheets and the walls around her. Holy fuck. I called for Ralph and quickly pulled on gloves to stop her from bleeding out of her neck. Her eyes were wide. Her jaw was tense. Her face looked like someone else's. I approached her quickly and reached for her neck, wanting to put pressure on the hole that the IV had left. There was blood everywhere. She looked at me in horror. Get away from me, she screamed. She dropped the bloody IV and grabbed at me with both hands. Her strength was Herculean, as she tried to stop me from grabbing at her neck. You're trying to kill me, she yelled. Just then, Ralph ran in. I told him to get some restraints. Sylvia was still bleeding, trying to keep me from getting at her neck. I was finally able to get one hand there while fending her off. I couldn't believe how strong she was. I was wrestling a monster, a dragon, not a 76-year-old woman with one lung. Ralph grabbed her hands from my arm. This incited her more. Help! Help! She screamed while Ralph tied her hands to the bed. Once she was tied, she began kicking her legs at us, thrashing her head back and forth like a wild animal. I somehow got her bleeding stopped then tried to put some oxygen on her as she was doing a fair amount of aerobic exercise. I caught her thrashing head and put the cannula in her nose. I know that's the death gas you're giving me. Why are you trying to kill me? Ralph ran out of the room to call the doctor. I did my best to calm her down, but there was no reasoning with the dragon. You and that dirty little gay friend of yours are trying to kill me. You won't get away with it. If only that was what was really happening, I might have been happier. But I learned in nursing school that we weren't allowed to kill patients on purpose. Then the worst thing happened. She started calling for her husband, who coincidentally was also named Lou. Lou, she screamed. What? Lou, the patient who was sedated next door, finally wakes up and calls back from the room next to us. Run, Lou, they're trying to kill us. So in the next room, Lou gets going. I can't see him because the curtain between the rooms is closed, but I can hear him rustling around in the bed. He starts screaming, help, help, and from the rattle of the side rails, it sounds like he's trying to climb out of bed. Ralph has to hang up the phone and run to catch him before he makes it out. I leave Sylvia and open the curtain between the two rooms so I can see the both of them. But the problem with that is now they can see each other and what we're doing to both of them. Sylvia's screaming and Lou's screaming and Ralph and I are sweating and dodging legs and fists and teeth and wondering, why didn't we go to landscaping school? We finally get them both tied down and medicated. I have no idea how. I went to a Texaco on the way home that morning and bought a six-pack. I sat in my shitty apartment and noticed some blood that I'd missed when I was wiping off my shoes. I sat there looking at it, wondering why I'd chosen this, how much longer I could do it. And if anyone would ever ask for my autograph after giving a suppository, the answer is no. All right, Holly Lorca.
3: <laughs> why is your face so sad,
4: Michael?
0: Because my arms went numb, at,
4: <laughs> I was at waiting for you to pass out of it. Really
0: neck IV. Neck <laughs> IV why does that have to happen anyway why couldn't they just put in their arm like normal oh my god people get bypass surgery and they put a tube through their leg and it goes all the way to their heart when i think about that i want to kill myself (laughs) neck iv um beautiful story really well done neck iv (laughs) yeah that was great um she reminded me of like whenever you
5: see news reports about people who are on drugs and naked and fighting the cops. Like if she would gotten away from you, I imagine that would have been great to see that on YouTube if that existed back then. But I admire that granny better than like my own grandparents because I would only get like emails from my grandma and this woman is like full on rock star on morphine. Like my grandmother just sends me photos of twin fetuses holding hands in the womb and she's like punching you in the face and getting blood everywhere. So she's pretty cool. So you are kind of a celebrity or a rock star or a superstar. Just hanging out with Edith Piaf, or whatever her name is. I don't know, I don't really have anything. That was a great story.
4: Um, I loved your story. thought it was great. Excellently uh, executed and written. It actually meant a lot to me. My grandmother was in the hospital recently, and she got a little crazy on that morphine as well. They had to restrain her. So... <laughs> I appreciate your service and what you do because if it wasn't for all those patient nurses, you know, we wouldn't have been uh, as comforted as as uh, well handling it ourselves. <laughs>
3: so thank you. Um, I real quick talking about grandmas on morphine. Um, When when my grandmother was passing away, she was on a lot of morphine. Uh, And I remember they got her, like, her her pastor that she'd had for years to come. Like, the whole family was standing around the bed, and she's just, like, doped out of her mind. And I remember the pastor looking at her being like, Bonnie, are you ready to go see Jesus? And she was just like, hell no! (laughs) And that's when I knew... um, that's when I knew she was my grandmother. Um, <laughs> I'm an idiot. Okay, your next uh, storyteller coming to the stage. Uh, she is also a nurse, so get ready for more arms going numb. Please welcome up, Cat Drago.
1: So,
10: uh, yeah, I'm really sorry about your arms. About what's gonna about to happen. Um, I also... I think I may automatically lose because this is not funny at all. Um, but I... Uh, I've seen a whole lot of things in the operating room. Um, I've seen hearts beating in open chests and uh, gunshot wounds and stab victims and attempted suicides of taken nails out of eyeballs and uh, um, uh, one kid was driving his jeep with his arm uh, sitting in the window and he got sideswiped and it took his arm like a mile down the road um, we tried to put it back on but you know it, was, it only lasted about a week um, so <laughs> the moral of that story is I'm not very easily shocked by anything. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm not affected by anything. Um, and and I, I think that uh, we should be. I think that if the really hard stuff doesn't touch us, then uh, we shouldn't be nurses in the first place. Um, the stuff that usually really gets me are the kids, Um, I remember four or five years ago I was working in a level one trauma center and uh, it was Friday evening uh, the end of my work week almost the end of my day it was like 10.45 at night and I was getting ready to leave Um, it had been a pretty routine day we hadn't really had any traumas come in Um, maybe some appendectomies um, a boob job or two (laughs) Um, but about 10.45, we got the 911 page. Um, There had been a major accident. Several kids were driving uh, a truck down a back road, and it flipped. The kids that were in the back of the truck were dead on arrival, Um, but the two kids that were in the cab were still hanging on. So we get to work. Uh, We start preparing the operating room. We bring the first kid up, and he's in really, really bad shape. We we don't think he's going to make it. He's bleeding internally, broken bones everywhere. Um, He is what we call a splash and slash. Um, We don't have enough time to methodically and sterilely clean the surgical site with betadine like we would normally do. We bring him in, we get him on the operating table, we splash betadine on his abdomen and then in comes the scalpel. Um, we don't have time to do anything. We have to stop the bleeding. Um, There were like eight or ten surgeons in there, and everybody's going crazy. We even give him something called Factor 7, which is uh, about as scary as it sounds. It's like a last-ditch effort to save your life when you're hemorrhaging everywhere. Um, But after all the craziness and hubbub, uh, it looked like he was going to be okay. Um, He was probably going to lose his leg, but um, he would live. So take him to the ICU, come back. The room's a mess. There's blood everywhere. Um, so I help clean up. And then I'm just about to go when my charge nurse says, can you stay for one more? And it's at least 30 in the morning at this point, and I don't want to stay. Um, but she says, it's his sister. Um, and she's internally decapitated. Which means when you are decapitated normally, your head is just ripped clean off, right? We can't fix that. Um, (laughs) But internal decapitation is where the bones in your neck are broken, crushed a lot of times, and there's nothing but the soft tissue in your neck keeping your head attached to your body. Obviously, these are extremely catastrophic injuries. Most of the time, they don't make it to the hospital. They die no matter what we do. But she's still hanging in there. Um, So we have to try. Um, We her into the operating room. Everybody is going crazy. There's uh, anesthesia pulling, drawing back vials of propofol. The surgical tech is getting all of the, uh, the, the uh, instruments ready, the implants and the hemostatic agents. And I bring her in and I notice she's gorgeous. She has beautiful blonde hair. I mean, even with all the blood, she's just gorgeous. But... I almost instantly noticed her fingernails. They had very clearly been painted that day. There were no chips. Her top coat was gleaming. But it struck me because they were exactly the same as I used to paint my fingernails when I was her age. They were blue with an orange stripe down the middle and a little white dot at the end. I used to do really crazy things with my fingernails. My dad loved it. He would even sometimes come home from the grocery store with new colors just because he wanted me to try them out. And as I'm looking at her, I just was so sad because if this girl makes it alive, that will be the last time she ever paints her fingernails. And how is that fair? We get her on the operating table. We put traction on her neck to separate what's left of her vertebra. The, the surgeon opens her up and tries to make sense of the mess that is in there. There's lots of screws that get put in plates. There's a lot of blood. And the whole time, I just keep thinking about her fingernails and just praying, God, please, let her live through this. At the end of a surgery like that, when the last screw is placed and the stitches are in and the dressings are on, see collar, there's usually that moment where we all take off our masks and we all kind of collectively exhale, like we just now realize that we've been holding our breath for a few hours. There's nothing else we can do but wait and see The only hope that she has is that somehow there's a little bit of intact spinal cord left. So we take her to the ICU. At that point, the surgeon splits off to go give her parents the news. One of their kids almost died, lost his leg, and she'll be lucky if she wakes up. And as we're rolling into the room, I give the uh, ICU nurse report on all the things that have happened, and she opens her eyes. And it's a beautiful moment, but then suddenly I just lose it. I can't stay. Because what do you say? Eventually, someone is going to have to tell this little girl that she will not dance at prom, she will not walk across the stage at graduation, she will not walk down the aisle, and she will never paint her fingernails again. I don't know what happened to that girl. Most of the time in the OR, we never find out. But I think about her all the time, especially when I paint my fingernails. Thanks.
3: Thank you, Kat.
0: <laughs> Judges.
3: What kind of bullshit do you have to
0: say to that? I got, I got no bullshit. That was yeah, no. fucking beautiful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that. Um, it, it didn't even bother me. Uh, um, yeah, you gave it... You established the tone and the gravity just like right off the bat and you had us there the entire time the music outside even like worked with you and that's awesome and uh thank you yeah
5: it was great um i feel bad for the person who who downloads this podcast and like oh i've heard great things about this podcast i'm going on my first date tonight and then they listen to this on the way to go pick up their sweetheart and then you just see, you just see like this Mazda protege pull over on the side of Mopac and somebody just silently weeping in the front seat of their car. And then the only thing they can do is like burn themselves with a cigarette lighter just so they can let all that feeling out at once and then go bring flowers to some shitty person who's never going to get as great at that story. It's great. The cadence of the storytelling was really good. Like it's a very intense story. But I, and like... The subject matter is like if Bozo the Clown was reading that, it still would have made Oprah cry. Like that's how intense the story is. And uh also side note, um I'm never gonna be able to ride the splash and slash at Slitterbon ever again.
4: <laughs> uh yeah, I, I don't have a lot of bullshit. That was a really great story. Uh when I when you first it came out that you were an operating room nurse, I had a lot of lot of questions for you about Grey's anatomy. Um <laughs> <laughs> like are, are the doctors that hot and also like does sex in the on-call room really happen that often yeah. um because really that's wow i picked there, the wrong one saying yes um, just so you know <laughs> but no really beautiful story and uh thank you for sharing that
3: sex in the on-call room Next r and hit. <laughs> All right, we got one more storyteller left. Uh, I'm very happy to have him on here. He has a fantastic show called Welcome to Queer Mountain. I uh, have at cheer up, Charlie's. You should definitely check that out. But for now, we have him here. So please welcome up Michael Folk.
2: Hey guys, uh, that was real sad. <laughs> Um, mine's not really funny either. Uh, uh, for two and a half years, I worked at the Austin state hospital in child and adolescent psychiatric development. Um, and I took the job, uh, because, um, I had a really, really well paying retail job and I, I didn't do shit at it. I was managing this retail store where my only boss was in Denmark and, um, We just fucked around all the time, and I felt like a shit person. Uh, So I was like, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go do something. And I was like, oh, the state hospital. My ex-boyfriend worked there. And I was like, I'm going to go. And he was like, okay, great. Come work here. Don't go to CAPS because uh, child analysis and psychiatric services or development. Um, Everyone says it's terrible, and it's rough, and the kids are terrible. And I was like, I'm going to do that. Um because uh I like a challenge, and I like people to feel sorry for me, I guess um but I went and I started working there and it's it, the, the pay is terrible um no one wants the job because it 's hard, and uh there 's no funding um in Texas, we have the lowest mental health care uh funding of anywhere in the u s now yay. There's no money uh, because no one in Texas gives a shit or none of our uh, politicians do. Uh, but there's no money. There's no aftercare. Um, if a kid goes to the state hospital, it's because they don't have insurance to go to Shoal Creek or somewhere nicer. Um, our facilities aren't terrible, but it's it's not a great place. It's a lot like uh, the Dream Warriors. It's, it's similar to Nightmare on Street 3. Um, it's a bunch of kids that are locked up um that are just having a terrible time and a lot of their families don't really give a shit um there was one specific family that more or less used it as a daycare uh they had seven kids and anytime one of their kids had an outburst they would send them to the state hospital and the state hospital would just accept them uh and whenever one kid would get out after two weeks they would put in another one and that was these kids' childhood uh, was just being sent to the state hospital in time they had an outburst. Uh, But specifically, my uh, interaction was primarily with uh, 12 to 17-year-old males. Um, That's where I primarily worked. Um, And I really cared about a lot of these kids. I really got really attached to it. I'm going to get to that in a second. But what I want to talk about right now is the trials of working on the women's unit. Um... On the women's unit for 12- to 7-year-old girls, um, all of these girls are victims of their own uh, psyches and what's going on for them, but they're pretty much all across the board uh, victims of severe abuse, Um, because that's what happens, apparently, and it's real terrible. Um, But the thing that happens whenever you're a victim of severe, severe, severe childhood abuse as a woman is that you learn survival tactics Um, at the state hospital as a psychiatric nursing assistant you're basically a grunt Um, you're basically an orderly with a fancy title but you spend all day with the kids and you get attached to the kids the doctors don't really because they have a shitload of kids and also they get paid a shitload of money and they write it all off Um, as a psychiatric nursing assistant you're spending a lot of time with them Um, these girls are not feeling great They have a terrible time of it, and they learn survival tactics. And one of the survival tactics that they have is, once I start hurting myself, if someone tries to stop me, I'm going to start making sex noises. Um, I'm going to start moaning and saying, he's raping me. So uh, one day, a girl broke an exit sign uh, because she had had so many terrible things happen to herself that she wanted to die. She broke an exit sign and started cutting herself. Uh, while well, one of my coworkers tried to get the piece of plastic out of her hand, she started saying, Oh baby, please stop raping me. Please stop raping me. Let's get this on camera, please stop raping me. This girl had been multiply multiple times raped by her father, and that's how she survived. That's how she got through things. Was I'm going to turn this to something that I can use. To separate myself from an aggression or sep- or, or use to my advantage because this has been used against me so many times, um, multiple times on the women's unit, uh, I've had to restrain fifteen-year-old, um, beautiful, very nice cheerleader-type girls that have had terrible things inflicted upon them um, as they attacked me severely because they just want to die so bad. Um, none of it's funny. I keep trying to figure out a way to turn it into that, but it's not. Uh, Probably the funniest story I have from that is uh, one time this girl was putting staples into her arm, uh, trying to uh, slit her vein with staples, and she managed to bust open the office door and get a phone cord, and while I was trying to get the staples out of her hand, she wrapped the phone cord around my neck, and we struggled for about three 30 minutes until we both got tired because we're both overweight and then we just laid down and talked for about 20 minutes and we'll call her Therese and I was like Therese do you want to be doing this and she's like no but I don't want to be here and I was like I don't want to be here either what the fuck and uh, she just had her phone cord wrapped around my neck and I had a a staple halfway out of her arm and we just laid there on each other for a while because no one could separate us uh, without injecting, uh, her with a PRN, which is, would knock her out, and we try not to do that, and so I just laid here with this 15-year-old girl that just hated her life, and I currently hated mine, but hers was so much worse, and we just laid there in this sterile environment, feeling terrible. Uh, kind of funny, maybe? Um... (laughs) But uh, the, main, the main story I wanted to talk about, about working in the state hospital, it's right over there. Like, there's kids doing this and, like, people locked up in there just for having a shit time with no money. There's no aftercare. Like, after you leave the state hospital, this is what they do, especially if you're over 18, is they go, bye. And you, that's, that is what our homeless population is. Like, any time you are like, oh, what is that guy doing? He's too close to my Prius. He just got kicked out of the state hospital nine times out of ten with nothing. There's no aftercare. There's no money for that because that's what our legislation does. But anywho, working in uh, the – anywho, (laughs) uh, working in the child and adolescent males division – We're we're living in the 2000s. You would think um, that things would be a little bit more progressive. 2010s, whatever. Um, No, it's not. Um, A lot of the kids are in there uh, because uh, they're doing gay shit. Uh, Not a lie, not a joke. Um, If a parent is worried enough about their kid for doing gay shit and their kid gets depressed or gets upset, it's like, get him in there. Like, he's freaking out. He's doing gay shit. He's like, he's acting out, blah, blah. They're in there. Um, I was a uh, uh, patient parent advocate for a lot of meetings, and there was one kid um, that wanted to die so bad. He just wanted to fucking die. He wanted to die so bad. His dad called him a faggot on a regular basis. Dad hated him. His mom didn't want anything to do with him. He was locked up. He just wanted to die. And he was locked up in this hospital. Um, I went to the patient meeting with his father. And his father sat down for the meeting. And he said, well, is he still a faggot? Verbatim. Is he still a faggot? And I was like, yes, sir. He is still a gay 17-year-old. That's not what we do here. We can't do anything with that. And he said, he's not welcome back at my home. So this 17-year-old boy, uh, who had grown very attached to over the three months that I was working there as also being a gay person, um, was put into the foster care system. I have no concept of what's happened to him. Uh... I did tell his dad that he's feeling a lot better. That wasn't the point for his dad. Uh, So this kid is floating out there somewhere in the ether. Probably not doing great. Hopefully he's doing good. But I don't really have an ending for this outside of we live in Texas. It's terrible funding. And uh, whenever you see a homeless person or you see someone that is dealing with something in crisis... um, it's not bullshit. And, uh, I don't know. Feel bad about it, I guess. I mean it a little bit. I'm sorry.
3: All right, Michael Falk, advocacy through guilt. Uh, judges?
0: I feel bad.
3: You should. I
0: do. It worked. <laughs> uh, yeah story i want to hear one of those i want to hear one of them really developed um the story right there about seventeen year old kid story about you collapsing with a fifteen year old with a phone cord wrapped around your neck i want to hear all of the details around that um, I think that that would that would that would uh Make the point very, very clear, just with one clear story. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, because I mean they're all going to make us feel bad, (laughs) but they're going to it's it would it would drive the point home real clear. Uh, Thank you for sharing though, and it it works.
5: (laughs) Yeah, it reminds me like whenever you walk down the street and you see homeless people, you kind of you either have to kind of brush them off and, or, like, acknowledge their humanity, and it's, like, you can't do that. As a regular person, like, just a civilian walking down the street, you can't just acknowledge everybody's suffering. But, yeah, and your job, that, you, that's, that is your job, so, I mean, I can't... So, it's, it's like, I know you want to find humor. Like, there's there's definitely, like, humanity in the stories, and there's always humor in humanity. Um and I think... The thing that resonated with me the most was the girl who wrapped the phone cord around your neck because I was in a bad relationship one time and stuff like that happened occasionally. Um, and it just—I I think Hallmark should have like precious moments for people who are in a bad relationships, and that should be like the avatar for a bad relationship because it's—it's it's so appropriate. Somebody's got their strangling you while you're tr- trying to help them, and vice versa. I don't know, and you're learning something about yourself in the process. I don't know. And I, that's yeah, I feel bad too. <laughs>
4: Uh I also feel bad i I deal with the uh <laughs> with the state hospital uh leftovers on a daily basis over here, and um it's hard because I obviously can't let in a, a lot of riff into the venue, and I have to be kind of stern with them at times, and that's always hard on me because i'm I'm usually one that likes to give everybody the benefit of the doubt um it's just another just add another grievance of mine with the Texas legislation. I uh, I ask myself daily, what am I doing here? So, <laughs> yay, Texas. <laughs> we should all move somewhere.
3: <laughs> go, Texas. Later. All right. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, uh, judges. So right now, we're going to excuse the judges to go deliberate on a winner. And uh, Michael, if you want to come tell me when you guys have decided, you can just stand over there and let you know. Um, in the meantime... I have a special guest for you uh i'm gonna go ahead and see see uh hey hey mom are you there
1: mom are you there i'm
3: here okay uh so the whole reason why I started uh I decided to do this particular uh uh theme is because my mother is a nurse and the horrifying stories she has told me. Um so I wanted her to come and share some of them with you, but she lives in Maryland. So uh I got her on the old the old cellular uh, and she's got a few a few quick tales she's gonna tell you all the judges deliberate. So uh uh mommy dearest, you wanna hit it?
1: Hi Austin. <laughs> Hi. Okay, well let's see. There's uh there's the woman that came into the emergency department because she was pleasuring herself with a potato that got stuck in her vagina and had to be
3: removed. Wait, my question, mom, mom, uh how how big of a potato like to get stuck, or was it really deep, or, like, what was the situation?
1: Well, um, it was probably about the size of an orange. You know, well, so it was stuck far enough that the doctors had to extract it.
3: Okay, good to know. Oh
1: so, yeah, so, so there's the potato
3: story. I think, um, I really want to, I really want you to share the, the twerking story that you called me about last week.
1: Oh, yeah. So, there was this woman who was, uh, pregnant with her second child and, uh, started to go into labor and, um, decided to twerk the baby out in front of her boyfriend and son and, uh... Needless to say, it uh, ended up with her taking an emergency run in an ambulance to uh, our labor and delivery department, because uh, the baby became distressed, as you can imagine. I'm always always
3: distressed when I twerk.
1: (laughs) And uh, so the twerking didn't really work for uh, the mom and the baby, but everybody's fine. Good. That's good to hear. (laughs)
3: <laughs> any any
1: um, Anything else you got for us? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is a great one. So there was this little boy. He came in. He's about two years old. And just uh, dropped, dropped at home, respiratory distress. Didn't know what's wrong with him. Brought him in. He's on a breathing machine. Can't figure out what's wrong with him. So the docs don't understand what's going on, so they take the breathing machine off him. He's up walking around, passes out, pulled. So this happens about two or three times. I can't figure out what the hell is wrong with this kid. So they finally do this uh, bronchoscopy, which is putting a camera down into the lungs to see what was wrong. Pulled out this mask about the size of a tangerine, and uh, apparently a week before Mom dropped a bag of pinot beans on the floor, and uh, the, the boy picked up a bean and obviously aspirated it into his lung, and um, it had sprouted to about the size of a tangerine. And it was uh, blocking off his airway, so they pulled it out, and the kid went home two days later. That was pretty cool. <laughs> that that is so,
3: so don't ask pinot beans because they'll they'll grow. Yeah, don't breathe beans. Okay. Got got it. Good right. good mom advice.
1: <laughs> okay. And then uh let's see, what else is there? There's the uh, crazy woman that uh barricaded herself and her sick daughter in the room. Uh and wouldn't let the healthcare people get in the room. It, that was pretty sad, And it was <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> Wait, was it sad or hilarious? It still wasn't sad. It was kind of hilarious. Yeah, and then the, uh, the mom and the boyfriend having sex in the cot next to her sick son. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so what? And then there was the a the little four-year-old boy who was uh, sick. He had, like, a couple of chest tubes in his lungs. And we used to have to get him up and walk him around. So well, he'd walk around the nurse's station just screaming, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, his, his, his mom kind of talked like a truck driver, so I kind of understood why Anthony talked that way. And his mom would not tell him not to say that. So one night, and the mom never left the side. So one night, the mom left. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I looked at my worst my, uh, friend, and I said, I'm going in. So I went into his room, and I closed the door, and I did the mom's thing. I was about three inches from his nose. I said, if I hear you say the word fuck one more time, I'm going to smack you. Of course, you know, I probably would be fired. I would be fired now if that happened. And he was so scared.
3: He, he, he was killed for another week and he never said fuck again. <laughs> Congratulations, Mom. Okay, okay. I love you, Mom. I gotta go. Okay, bye, Mommy. Love you. I'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, I think we I think we have a, a a golden hammer winner decision. Also, give it up for my fucking mother. <laughs> oh, she's so scary. Um. All right, we we have the golden hammer winner. Are we ready to hear who it is? Okay, please put your hands together for Katrina. Uh, The one that will make everybody weep while they listen to this in their cars. Thank you so much, Kat, and thank you so much to everybody who participated. Give it up one more time. We are the Do Good Work podcast. We're here the first Friday of every month. See y'all next time. Mm. Mm. Bye-bye.
6: John Henry's pappy woke him up one midnight He said before the
2: sheriff comes I want to tell you Listen boy, said learn to ball a jack Learn to lay a track Learn to pick and shovel too And take my hammer, it'll do anything you
0: tell it to Another Tasty Podcast from the Tasty Podcast Network at tastypodcast.com.